important. I do have one more announcement that um, we would love to ask for a little bit of help this coming Saturday. We're really excited as we're getting to start to use this building for all kinds of fun things in our community. We've been hosting you know, different things, banquets for athletic things and different things like that. But this Saturday night, I can hardly contain myself because we are hosting the Farmington High School Special Needs Prom here at Homestead. I know, it's so amazing. So the Best Buddies Prom is going to be here. There's, how many kids are signed up, Heidi? About 35 special needs high school students are gonna be coming here to have a prom. Pastor Jeff is gonna DJ that thing. We are gonna have a blast. So here's how I could use some help. Saturday morning, starting at nine o'clock, we would love to have a crew of people here to help tear down the chairs, um, blow up balloons, help us decorate for that event. So I'm guessing probably between nine and maybe 12 or one, we would love to have as many people come and help us get ready for that as possible. And then the event ends at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. So that means we could use a lot of people at 10 o'clock on Saturday night. So you late owls that are up anyway, we would love to see um, people come and help us clean up, put the chairs back up, get the church ready for Sunday morning. So this is just one of those times that we were like, it's okay. It's totally worth a late night on Saturday night in order to be able to help this event. So if you have any questions, you can talk to me after service. Otherwise, we would love to have your help either Saturday morning or Saturday night. Can, we, can you help me? Will you come and help me? Okay, we're going to have a great time. I'm excited about it. So we are continuing um, our series on the book of Exodus. Last week, we looked in Exodus chapter 3 at the call of Moses. We've been talking, kind of looking at that book of the Bible, looking at all of the different aspects of Moses, of God leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. And last week, we looked at how God called Moses, how he had been preparing Moses for his entire life orchestrating every detail of his story, preparing for this moment. We talked about how God had put natural talents, natural abilities, natural instincts inside of Moses that he had to learn to yield to God so that they could be used for his glory and how he had to learn to submit them to God, to just not go with what felt right to him just because he had the instinct didn't mean he had the right way and the right time. And then we talked about how Moses was activated, how God had been planning this for years and years and years. And then the moment came where God activated Moses for this assignment because God had heard the cries of the people. And the moment had come for Moses to lead them out of Egypt. And we talked about how for you and I, there comes a moment where God has been preparing you, preparing you, preparing you. And then there comes a moment of activation where he says, the time has come. I'm putting you in. Let's go. And we are to, because God has heard the cries of the people. And the moment has come for us to step into what God has called us to do. So today, I want to talk a little bit about the moment after God called Moses and what Moses' reaction was in that moment. I want to talk to, to you about some of the initial struggles he faces with an issue that is very close and near and dear to my heart, fearing people. Any other people in the room have a little bit of a people pleaser, a little afraid? Yep. Okay. Thank you for raising your hand. We'll all be in this together. I feel like I could teach a master class on the fear of men. As long as I can remember, I've always been afraid of letting people down, um, afraid of what people will think, worried about making people happy. Um, I've always had people-pleasing tendencies my whole life and a deep need to make other people feel happy. But it has also been the deepest work of Christ in my life. 
As long as I can remember, it has been the thing that he continually points to and says, okay, we're going to keep working on this, Christy. You're doing better, Christy, but we're going to keep working on this. This is, this is an area that I continually have to lay down, submit to Christ, allow him to teach me, allow him to work on my heart and to lay that down. And I'm not what I was, but I'm certainly not where I want to be. Um, I think it will be the thing that I keep working on my entire life. I think it will be the thing that Jesus and I just keep making progress every day. So I feel a kind of a certain kinship with Moses and his response in the moment when God activates him. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Last week we talked about how God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and told him that he was going to use him to lead the people out of Egypt. And so starting in verse 10, we see Moses' response to God in that moment. Verse 10, he says, Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I tell him? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So what is Moses' first response when God calls him to do something? He protests. He says, no, no thank you. Now, in light of everything we talked about last week, how Moses' natural giftings and instincts were to be a rescuer, How in the past, he had just jumped right in anytime he saw oppression. He was like, this is my deal. This is a bit odd, isn't it? It's a bit odd that his first response was to protest. Moses was passionate about helping those who were oppressed and being mistreated. You think his first reaction would be, yes, I finally am getting put in. Put me in, coach. I'm ready, right? You would think that he was excited that he finally gets to do his thing. But that was not his response. In this portion of scripture, the thing that rises to the surface in Moses was not his instinct or his gift or his passion. It was his own insecurities and the inadequacies that he felt in himself. That's what rose to the surface. And that so often happens with us, doesn't it? Uh, We think, oh, Lord, I would love for you to use me. God, I would love to do something for your kingdom. God, I would love to do that thing. Lord, I would want you to stretch me. Put me in, coach, right? But then when the moment comes and the Lord says, hey, here's what I have for you. Here's what's next. I want you to do this. We're all like, I don't know. Surely there's someone more qualified, right? Or we think, What are people going to think about if I'm like, this is what I'm doing? They're going to think that I'm crazy or I can't lead that. I can't be in charge of that. I can't try that. I can't do that. It doesn't matter how talented or how gifted you are. For the majority of us, when the moment comes, the first thing that bubbles to the surface is self-doubt. Would you agree with me? As much as our hearts want to do it. The thing that tends to rise up is self-doubt. 
And we can notice that Moses' fear was on both sides. He fears going before Pharaoh, which I can totally get, right? This is a big, powerful guy having to challenge something so significant in front of an important person. He's like, I don't want to go in front of Pharaoh. That feels terrifying. But you notice on the flip side, he also says, what if I go to the people of Israel? And they're like, who are you? Now, who is this God that called you? He was nervous. He says, what if they ask me questions about who God is? What he was wondering is, what if they say to me, you're not really qualified? What if they say, yeah, Moses, we know you're technically a Hebrew, but we also know your past. We know you grew up in the house of Pharaoh. You're, you're not really one of us. You kind of are. He was wondering whether they were going to think he was a fraud. Now, there is a term that's been going around for a couple years called imposter syndrome. Have any of you heard of this? Imposter syndrome is loosely defined as doubting your abilities and feeling like a fraud. Uh, someone with imposter syndrome has an all-encompassing fear of being found out to not have what it takes. You'll hear this a lot in the corporate world of you're doing stuff, but you have this deep insecurity that all of a sudden people are going to be like, oh, I knew it. Total phony. And so Moses has imposter syndrome. He's thinking, I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden people are going to be like, you know what? I don't think he's really up for this. I mean, he's technically Hebrew, but he also you know, grew up as one of, in Pharaoh's household. So he's afraid of being found out as a fraud. He's afraid of not measuring up to the task. He's afraid of the reactions and the opinions of other people. His fear of man was rising to the surface. And in the face of this new assignment, he was willing to just say, no, I can't do it. For Moses, his fear of man showed up in self-doubt. For me... My fear of man is tied into not wanting to disappoint anyone. That's always where it shows up for me. For some of you, fear of man might show up in a totally different way. For some of you, maybe it's shyness or inability to express yourself because you're so afraid of what people would think that you will never voice what you're really thinking inside. Maybe it shows up in overcommitment. You cannot say no. I have the spiritual gift as well. You can't say no because... You don't want to let anybody down, and the idea of saying no to somebody just terrifies you. You don't want to disappoint anyone. You don't want to let them down. Maybe it's demonstrated by defensiveness. No matter how little or how great the correction or criticism, you just can't take it. You always have to fight back. You always have to have an excuse. You, you can't let anyone see any kind of weakness in you. And so the fear of man has caused this defensiveness that you put up this wall that you can't take any, have any kind of self-assessment that you might have a frailty or a weakness. Perhaps you're indecisive. You second guess your decisions over and over. You're thinking, well, if I do this, I could do that. If I don't do this. And you're just paralyzed to make a decision because of what other people might think. Overanalyzation of everything you say or do. You come home from a party and you start getting in the car and you're like, oh, why did I say that? Remember when I said that? I bet they thought that about me. Or you replay your comments and conversations and actions, and you wonder what people thought about you in that moment. Maybe it's arrogance or brashness. It's a constant underlying need to get attention and to have people see you because the attention somehow makes you feel validated. Or passivity. You can't stand up to others because you fear the loss of their approval so much. 
Fear of man can reveal itself in all kinds of ways. It's not just the shy, passive people. Sometimes it's very aggressive and out there. But this is important. However it reveals itself in your life, I have learned that the fear of man is something that God wants to ruthlessly rid out of our hearts. He wants to get rid of it, and here is why. You cannot please God when you're worried about pleasing man. It doesn't work. I promise I've tried. (laughs) You cannot please God when you're consumed with worrying about pleasing man. Moses was never going to step into what God had for him if he was constantly worried about what other people were going to think about him. He was going to miss the whole thing. It all comes back to one of the oldest problems in the history of the world and the thing that God continually throughout Scripture talks over and over and over again, idolatry. When we have our eyes fixed on anything other than God, when we're looking to any source to give us validation other than God, when we give our devotion or our worship to any created thing, when we care more what people think than what God thinks, it is idolatry. We might not have built a stone statue, but for a lot of us, people are our favorite idol of choice. People are the thing. Their approval of us, their validation of us, the stamp of success, the stamp of accomplishment, the stamp of other people's approval becomes the thing that we are driven to get. And people become our favorite idol of choice. We look to them to meet our needs for love and approval and fulfillment and worth instead of looking to God to receive all those things. We think that they have the power to give us something that we desperately need. We're more concerned about looking stupid, the fear of people, than we are about actually sinning, which is the fear of the Lord. I read an article this week by John Bloom, and it says, the person or persons whose reward of approval we desire most, whose curse of disapproval we most fear to receive, is the person we will obey, our functional God. That is why the Bible so often commands us to fear the Lord. So whoever's approval we need most and disapproval we fear most That can become our functional God, the thing that we are striving to serve. That's why God tells us, fear only me. Fear the Lord. Moses, in that moment, was willing to miss out on the opportunity to be used by God in a historical and significant way because he was worried about how other people were going to respond to him. Can you relate to this? (laughs) Yeah, me too. Has God asked something of you? And you constantly rehash why you are unqualified for the task. Has the Lord put dreams in your heart, and yet you are so afraid of failing and looking stupid in the eyes of others that it has kept you from moving forward? Here's a big one. Has God given you a new assignment, but you're so busy doing the things that other people want you to do because you can't say no? You do not have the time or the margin or the energy to do what God is asking you to do. Essentially, you're working so much for other people that you don't have time to obey God. Has God asked you to lay something down, that area of sin, that habit, that attitude, 
And yet, in the moment when temptation comes, you are afraid of what someone else will think of you, and you literally give in to the peer pressure and find yourself doing the very thing you swore you weren't going to do anymore. Peer pressure, apparently, is not just for the kids, right? We find ourselves in the moment going, I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't gossip. I know I shouldn't say that thing. I know I shouldn't. But in the moment, we just are more afraid of what everybody else in the room is going to think. And so we just move forward. Proverbs 29, 25 says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But to trust in the Lord means safety. Other versions say the fear of people is a snare, the thing that gets caught on your foot, a trap that will trip you up and get you stuck. If we don't work this out, we will get tripped up and stuck by our fear of man and miss out what God, on what God has for us. So how does the Lord help Moses work through this fear of other people. How does he help him in that moment when Moses just says, nope, sorry, I, don't, I think there must be someone else to do this job. What does the Lord do? So let's look at how Moses works through this self-doubt and moves into obedience. So turn to Exodus chapter 4, just a little bit over. We see it start in Exodus chapter 4 by more protests by Moses. He's not done with his list. He's still going. Uh, 4.1, he says, but Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake. And Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him, and they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now, put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second miraculous sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some of the water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do this, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I'm not now, and even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send someone else. So what does God do in the face of Moses' insecurity? What does he do in the face of his feeling unqualified? He shows Moses a demonstration of his power. He does something supernatural. He actually does a number of supernatural things. He shows him a small taste 
of what God is capable of doing, he lets him see how big, how strong, how powerful, how supernatural God is. Now, I used to think that God this did this to show Moses like a couple of really cool tricks so that if people were questioning him, he'd be like, oh, really? Watch this. <laughs> stick his hand, right? Like all of a sudden he had like super cool party tricks that he could do in order to impress people um, and be like, well, watch this. But I don't think that anymore. Because in my years of working through my own fear of man, insecurities and inadequacies, this has become the number one guiding principle that has changed me. God has to be bigger to you than people are. God has to be bigger to you than people are. The antidote for the fear of man is the fear of God. So God says, let me just show you. Moses, let me just show you what I'm capable of doing. This is just a tiny glimpse of what I'm going to do later, but let me just assure you, I'm God. I've got this under control. One of the most significant experiences I've had with God was probably 12 or 13 years ago when I was going through a really difficult season. I was in the midst of kind of a weird shift in my life. I was dealing with some conflict with some people who were close to me. I was dealing with some relational things. I was trying so hard to fix some situations in my life. And it felt like the harder I worked, the bigger mess I made. Anybody ever do that? You're trying so hard to kind of get in there and fix it and make it better. The harder I tried to make people like me or proud of me or happy with me, the more it seemed to backfire. I felt misunderstood and criticized and hurt. And I was just at a place where I just felt like, Lord, I just, I can't do anything right. I'm so frustrated. And so one night, Joyce Myers was in town, and she was downtown in St. Paul. She's a Christian speaker. And so I went by myself, and I went to this conference because I was just kind of in a raw place, and I was frustrated. And I remember I climbed all the way up to the top of the Excel Center, and I sat in the top row by myself, and everybody was worshiping and praying, and I had my arms crossed because I was like, Lord, I'm just so mad right now. <laughs> I'm trying so hard. I'm trying so hard to do everything you want. I, how long are you going to let this go on? How long are you going to let me feel like a punching bag that everything I try and do is misinterpreted? People are criticizing everything I can do. I cannot get people to like me, and I'm really good at getting people to like me. Why is this happening? And I heard the voice of the Lord so clear. This will go on until you learn to fear me more than you learn to fear people. I will continue to frustrate you. You're not going to be able to fix this because I am teaching you that you have gotten to the point where you're so worried about what everybody else thinks about you that you have stopped worrying about whether or not I'm pleased with you. And he was right. He said, you're wearing yourself out for the approval of other people. And you've stopped asking me what I want from you. You're so focused on giving everyone what they want. You've stopped asking what I want. You're living and working and doing everything to try and make everybody else happy. And you've stopped living to please me. People have become big. And you have made me small. It was probably one of the biggest rebukes I've had in my whole life. And we were probably 15 years into being pastors, and the Lord was like, you have got to get this under control. 
You have got to shift this. And Galatians 1.10 became a really important verse to me. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. When that switch happens in your heart and subtle, right? It comes out of good motives, comes out of good intentions. It comes out of a heart that wants to serve. But eventually when that switch happens and you find yourself just worrying about what everybody else thinks, above what God thinks, something has got out of alignment. And when Moses parades all of his insecurities and inadequacies before God, God's response was to turn his rod into a snake, cause the leprosy to form on his hand and take it away. And then to top it off, he says, if you need one more, just pour some water on the ground and it will turn into blood. God was showing Moses, hey, I am God. God was showing Moses how big he was. Because when you have a big God, it is easier to keep him bigger than people. We see the same concept in another portion of scripture. Something that would happen years and years after Moses. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, we see the same thing happen to the prophet Isaiah. God is calling him and commissioning him in Isaiah, chapter 6. And basically, Isaiah gets the worst job in the Bible. His job was to go and tell all the people of Israel all the doom and destruction that was going to await them. Because they were hard-hearted, they refused to listen, and so Isaiah's job was to tell them, you're going to be made captives. You're going to have this thing happen. You're going to go into exile. God gave him the worst list to tell people that was ever invented, right? And so the moment that God says, okay, Isaiah, I'm commissioning you to go and be my voice to the people and tell them the things that they do not want to hear, he was pretty much guaranteed to be an unpopular guy. And he, I, I wonder how Isaiah would have the courage to say such things. There were going to be countless times where he would be tempted to fear men instead of God. And so God gave him a revelation. He revealed himself to Isaiah in a supernatural, mind-blowing way so that Isaiah would forever know the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is the vision that Isaiah had. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Above him were seraphim, which are angels, with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and with it he touched my mouth. And he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Then he said, Go and tell this to the people. And he begins to lay out his message. God prepares Isaiah for this horrible job by giving him a healthy, heaping dose of the fear of God. 
I can imagine that whenever Isaiah would get a new message to share with the people, and he's like, ah, more bad news. I got to say this now. He would start to vacillate and maybe think, oh, the people are going to hate this. Oh, they're going to hate me more. I don't want to say this. And maybe he'd think, well, maybe I'll just leave out that part. Or maybe I'll just make it nicer. Or like I like to say, I'll put a bow on it. He would suddenly remember that moment of seeing God in the temple, the train of his robe filling the temple, the angels flying around, the glory and the splendor so much that he fell on his face at the majesty and the splendor and the greatness of God. And he would remember the glory. He would remember the holiness. And the fear and the reverence to honor the holiness of God would silence the voice of hesitation. He would remember how big God was. And suddenly his fear of man would be replaced by the fear of God. And you and I need to continually have the same experience. As I've been working through this journey in my own life, there have been moments where I was absolutely put to the test on this. Moments where I felt the pull to do something or say something that I knew God had told me not to do. And everything in me is screaming out to just back down. Just go along with it. Just don't ruffle the feathers. And in the moment, the only thing that gave me the courage to stand up to do what I knew God had told me to do was knowing that God was God. And if faced with a choice, it was far better to have a person angry with me than the sovereign creator of the universe. You and I will have a million moments when we are faced with the choice to fear God or fear people. And until God is bigger to you than people are, you will choose people because they're right here. We were talking to some friends of ours, um, Micah McDonald, who was here on Easter. We had them on our podcast. And we were talking about their journey of going on the road as evangelists full-time. And I asked him, how, so how did you over, he was talking about all his insecurities and fears when God asked him to step out in faith. And I said, what, what pushed you over the edge? Like, what made you say, you know what, I don't know how this is going to work out, but we're going to do it anyway. And he immediately said, the fear of God. I just, I knew no matter what, I could not disobey what God had told me to do. It was such a deep part of him that even though he had all these insecurities and wasn't sure how things were going to work out, he knew that when faced the choice, he had to obey God and do what he had asked of him. When you understand who God is, when you see him, when you understand how big he is, it really does become a no-brainer. When you have a fear of God, understanding how big and holy and sovereign he is, when you have an accurate view of who he is and who you are, his ultimate power and authority, then the moments when you're tempted, instead of trying to will yourself out of it or find a little loophole you can get through, instead of giving in to that sinful behavior because you would rather let God down than another person down, you stop and you remember the Lord and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, God, this moment feels really big, but I remember the Lord seated high on a throne the train of the robe filling the temple and the angels falling down before you saying, holy, holy, holy. And in that moment, I understand how big he is. And all of a sudden, everybody else gets a lot smaller. When we say, God, you are big. You are my God. I will do whatever you tell me to do. I will place none before you. Then he will say to you, who shall I send? Who will go? And your answer will become a yes. 
Moses got his first taste of how big and powerful God was. The Lord answered his self-doubt with a demonstration of his power and might. As if he was saying, Moses, it doesn't really matter if anyone believes you or not. It doesn't matter if you're capable. It doesn't matter if you're well-spoken. What matters is that I am capable. I am God. I will put the words in your mouth. All you have to know is that I'm saying go, and you need to obey me. And the reality is that as Moses continues on this journey, as we talk about this over the next few weeks, the people continually question him. (laughs) All throughout the book of Exodus, we see them vastly from cheering him on, to questioning him, to being angry with him, to blaming him, to ignoring him, to wanting to go back to Egypt, then to want to do their own thing. If Moses' obedience was going to be based on the approval of the people, it was going to be a real long journey. But in this moment, Moses has a revelation of who God was and what he was capable of. So the opinions of people essentially became irrelevant. He learned to fear God more than he learned to fear men. So what does that mean for you and for me today? Well, maybe you're like Moses and God is asking you to step out and do something that you don't think you can do. And your insecurities and self-doubt are running wild and keeping you from stepping into what God has for you. Maybe your anxiety is on autopilot because you're so worried about what other people are going to think about you. Maybe you are exhausted because you cannot say no to anyone and you are wearing yourself out because you simply cannot disappoint anyone. Maybe you keep tripping up in an area of sin Because in the moment, you're choosing to please a person rather than please God. Whatever it is today, the way to overcome the fear of man is to have a healthy fear of the Lord. God has to be bigger to you than people are. You have to be more devoted to obeying him than to making others happy. You have to have a deep understanding of his authority and sovereignty and power so that you do not cave to the approval of people over the approval of God. You have to ruthlessly rid your life of the idolatry of people, looking to them to make you feel validated, to make you feel safe, to make you feel accomplished, looking to them to fill your needs, to give you worth, and worshiping their opinions of you. Moses figures this out. As we keep studying his journey over the coming weeks, we'll see his reverence and devotion and connection to God grow stronger and deeper and deeper. His communion with God becomes so incredible. And his leading of the people becomes more clarified and focused in honoring God above all else. And so today I want to close with the last scripture. This one isn't found in Exodus. This one is found in Deuteronomy, which is a book of the Bible written by Moses. And this is a scripture that we find much later in Moses' life, much further down the journey, much further down the road than this moment right there at the burning bush. And in Deuteronomy 10, 12, it says, this is Moses' instruction to the people. And now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, 
and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. He got there. That's great hope for us today that we can get there. What is required of us? Sometimes it feels really complicated, but it's really simple. Fear the Lord your God. Love him. Serve serve him. And love him with all your heart. Let's bow our heads today. Jesus, we come to you today just so aware of our own humanness. Lord, we... We are your people. We're people of the spirit, but we live here as people of the flesh on this earth. And God, we can get so wrapped up in what we're doing on this earth during this brief time we're here. We get caught up in our jobs. We get caught up in our families. We get caught up in our work. We get caught up in what's going on around us. And pretty soon we find ourselves existing in that environment and all our motivation and all our anxieties and all of our fears are all wrapped up into how that is all working out here on earth. Whether or not we're thriving, whether or not we're accomplished, whether or not we're successful, whether or not we're loved, whether or not we're approved of. And Lord, I believe today you want us to just lift our eyes lift our eyes and to see you high and lifted up the train of your robe filling the temple and the angels falling before you saying holy 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 is the lord god almighty you've always been you always will be you are the sovereign god above all things and lord as we make you bigger today as we acknowledge your greatness, as we fix our eyes on who you really are, I pray, Lord, that you will become bigger to us than people. You'll become bigger to us than all the things of this world. Lord, I pray that today you would help each one of us to just be really honest at the places in our lives where we have allowed the fear of man to keep us from stepping into what you have for us. Lord, maybe it's someone who just knows they're supposed to reach out to somebody to have a conversation, and yet they're so afraid of what the other person's going to say that they have not stepped into obedience. Lord, I pray today that would shift, and it would become an issue of obeying you above all else, and that the outcome would really become irrelevant because The goal is to serve you and honor you. Lord, I pray for those today that you're asking them to take a step in their job or career or family or moving or whatever it might be. And yet the fear of of what if I fail has just come in and is just consuming them and causing them to plant their feet firmly where they are. I pray, Lord, that today there would be a shift to say, if you say it, Lord, I have to obey I have to fear God more than I fear man. Lord, I pray for each one of us today that we would expand our view of who you are, that we would tuck ourselves under the authority of Christ, that we would be willingly laying down every part of who we are and seeking your approval alone, 
allowing you to fill us up, allowing you to lead and guide us. We thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're so glad that you're here today. Thank you for coming. If there's anything that we can pray with you about, we're going to have prayer teams up front.